Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. I mean, I think it was Baldy, Brian Baldinger. It's Wes Baldy about Fitty and Walker. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. He threw me an alley right there, Fitty. My bad, man. He threw me an alley right there. Say it ain't so. I was like Penny the Shack right there, man. It's 2 o'clock on a Friday. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We were just hanging out during the break, as we often do. <laughs> Fitty, out of nowhere, just said, Wes, how are you feeling after your Super Bowl hangover? You ever find yourself <laughs> just longing for that Super Bowl that got away? Do you ever find yourself thinking about it when you're just driving on the road and you're at peace and quiet? And you said, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, man. Sometimes you do, do think about it. Yeah, I'm sitting there. I could be working. I could be doing anything. And then I just think, I'm like, dang, man, we came this close uh, yet again. But no cigar. But other than that, man, I've been good. You know, you move on, turn the page. There's, uh, you know, like like your boy yesterday, there's more important things in life than the teams I cheer for. So, Not true. You know, I got different stuff that nope. I got to do. I know Fitty probably doesn't want to hear me say that. But, you know, I got other things I got to take care of. Life does go on. Um, he's, I mean, even as much as he loves hearing stories about your kid, he would argue that the Super Bowl matters more. That's yeah, what he would say. He would. That's yeah. what Fitty would tell you. Or yeah. he understands the fans would say that. Now, <laughs> Fitty was also contributing to this conversation as well. I want to go to the FanDuel text line. 704-570-9610. 704-570-9610. What's a loss that stuck with you for a while? And I know that the Super Bowl losses are going to be here. I get that. I want to try to dig deeper a little bit more into the loss bag. I don't want to go just straight Super Bowl from every single one of these texts coming in. But I did want to know what is a loss that stuck with you. Fiddy, you were talking about the 2016 loss Carolina had against Villanova. That's one that stuck with you for a while. Yeah, I was working construction at the time. And the, the very next day, you know, I'm going in like on maybe two hours of sleep. Because you just don't sleep after you watch your team win or lose a championship. And the job I was doing that day was was very boring. I was alone, so I had a lot of time to think about it. And it was I remember calling my dad and just saying, like, this this is the worst feeling in the world. And like for the next, you know, so many months you would just think about if he misses that shot, Marcus Page, my favorite Tar Heel of all time, is a national champion. Yeah, I know I give you a hard time about that. Sorry to cut you off, uh, Big Walker. Oh, no, you're good. I was just going to say, you know, I did think about you a little bit after the game. I said, man, I said, this must have been how Fitty felt after Chris Jenkins <laughs> hit that shot. Because it's tough. <laughs> that one, and, and of course, the Super Bowl is tough, too. Actually, actually, now that I think about it, there are some similarities there. Because it's not even just losing the championship. It's the way you lose it. Yep. With San Fran, it... Listening to so many different, you know, people talk about this, Wes, it's not like you can point to one thing. Oh, if mm-hmm. if just that didn't happen, then we'd win. Oh, if if they just changed this, it's like, oh, how how do we lose that? It feels weird. Like we we can talk about it, but man, there's so many different little things that feel like contributed to this, and so that's tough. And with 
North Carolina, you know exactly what it was, and it still hurts. It's yeah. a shot. And you, you, you're right, Fiddy. Like, you have another really important moment taken away with Marcus Page's shot. So that doesn't happen. And instead, all that glory is stripped and put forth towards Chris Jenkins' shot, a buzzer beater in the championship. It's yeah. what literally everybody dreams and it about was, if you care about and basketball. It, and it was so sudden, too, because you're right there. You're like, man, all they got to do is just get this stop. And then they hit a shot like that. And then the 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 suddenness of the emotions just swings from one way to the other. But uh, Conspiracy King has a cool text on the text line. He said, West should believe me in the NFL being fixed. 49ers should be Super Bowl champs. Had to get you had to get you with my conspiracy <laughs> uh, confession. That is one thought that I did use to comfort myself I <laughs> after the loss. I said, well, it's all scripted anyway, man. Who cares? I'm like, man, you know, it is what it is. Fixes it. <laughs> you, so that was a good text. You mentioned that leading up to the game. You're like, well, at least I know it's Kansas City, but – the logos, the colors, yeah. the Super Bowl logo is the color of the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. And I so lived by it and win. died by it because remember I said the Detroit game, that gave me comfort knowing that they were going to come back when I saw uh, some of the things that I saw. So, yeah, that, that that thought did run across my mind. All right. We have a lot of really good ones. I appreciate you guys, you know, understanding the assignment. Panther Bo, he texted in three letters. F-D-U. Sorry, man. If you don't know, Panther Bo is a Purdue fan. Okay. And he experienced that FDU loss last year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fiddy, yeah. after you picked the Boilermakers to win the championship, you're probably in the same boat as Panther Bow. How long did that one stick with you because you had some kind of personal investment there? Oh, I mean, I was there for because I love seeing history be made. So, like, now at the expense of my bracket, luckily I didn't have a nasty milkshake to eat on the line. Um, and <laughs> I've, I've got bad news for Panther Bow. Uh -huh. um, they're going to be in the Final Four when I get my bracket on Selection Sunday again. Bo's uh, going to want to fight you, man. He might, but, uh, you know, that one was – it was fun in the moment, but then as the guy that is the hoops aficionado for the college game, it's kind of hard to back up that I know the most when I'm picking – when I miss, you know, something that egregious. No, and, and look, like, as much as I would love to clown you for that – You you literally do. This is NCAA tournament. No, I don't clown you for that. Well, the Purdue thing, it's hilarious, but I'm not going to actually take that for – legitimate reason as to you don't know what you're talking about with college basketball because I didn't have Purdue losing. Yeah. I just remember coming in the next day and you were being like, that's that. That's where the dumb stuff started when the way you talk to me, like, don't you just feel dumb picking Purdue to I don't think this is true. Purdue to beat FDU and uh, you just never let it down. And you called me dumb for, you know, now it's been like nine straight months. You stretch it so much. Dougie Fresh wrote in, Shaq and Kobe, my boys losing to the Pistons in 2004. Oh, that was then bad. Then they broke up. Oh, that was bad, too, man. That that was up there for me, too, man. That's when I was diehard Lakers back then, and they just got – but it, it, it didn't hurt worse than when they lost to the Celtics, when they got blown out every night, and it felt like they would come out and – the beginning of the game would go fine, and then the Celtics would just go on this wave, and then it'd be 20, 25 before you even knew what hit you. Yeah, that, that was a bad I, – I remember after one of those losses, I think it was game three or four, when it really set in that the Lakers don't have a shot in hell. I just sat in front of my TV like 10 minutes after the game was off just staring at the screen as of what I had just witnessed. Watching both of those finals <laughs> you talk about, I remember the Celtics being up by so much in the clincher that they actually went to the Gatorade bath, which only happens in football. You don't really see that in basketball because it's not usually that large of a deficit. 
But they beat the Lakers by like 30 in that clincher. They're like, hey, we got enough time in the fourth quarter. Let's dump this Gatorade on Doc Rivers. And so they did. And then you mentioned the Pistons one. I just remember the Pistons baiting Kobe Bryant into taking all the shots. So you wouldn't feed Shaq, who could have destroyed everybody. And I love Ben Wallace. Like, I think Ben Wallace is... As we go on, one of the more underrated players. I know offensively wasn't a crazy ton. Oh, but, but defensively he was a monster. Stupid. Still can't do anything with Shaq. Still but they, but they but Shaq still struggled in that season. Like, but, but because he didn't get the ball, Kobe shot a million times again. He had a terrible. Final. It was, but then even at times when he did get it though, they made it ugly for him. Like they didn't make it to where he could just back in, back in, bang on cats like he used to do. Because Rasheed and Ben Wallace made it. Real tough on Shaq in that series, I mean, man. None of the by, Lakers. By denying him the ball. Yeah, I think yeah. by denying him the ball. CJ said, my Terps, when they lost to Duke in the regular season, we were up like 12 with one minute. I mean, yeah, that's one of the craziest comebacks we've ever seen. Final four, Duke comes back from like 20 points down, and the Blue Devils end up winning that one. 704, the worst feeling is actually being at the game. My first ever in-person Final Four. What's the game, man? 704. Write that one in and we can know. I think it was responding to the Nova stuff. Gotcha. Scott and Belmont said, state playoffs in basketball. We lost 72 to 70 with the winning basket rolling out at the buzzer. When you play in it, that one hurts too. A couple more. Playmaker Baker, Alabama losing to Auburn in 2013. That's a brutal one. That's a brutal one. And then Steven from Huntersville, Panthers versus Arizona. Divisional round. DeLome throws like five interceptions. Yeah, uh, it was funny when you brought that up about uh, Shaq against the Pistons, right? Because he averaged 27-11 and almost two assists, right? So I bring this up because I've been watching uh, I watched the 15 minutes of the Shaq podcast with Allen Iverson. So for comparison against the Sixers, he averaged 33, 16, and 5. Mm-hmm. But Iverson made it a point to say those numbers that Shaq averaged against them. And he said, man, he said if Shaq had averaged like 25 and 10, I think we got a chance to win this series. Yep. And so that's the crazy part. Like for Shaq to beat him, if you can hold him, hold him to 27, 11, the Pistons got that win. So, yeah, he did. He he had to earn his points the hard way. Still dominant. No question about it. But then you look at what he did to other people. I mean, having Dikembe Mutombo on him and still average 33 and 16. I mean, that's... <laughs> Uh, my wrestling fan on the text line too, man. The seven hundred four number said uh, Cody Rhodes losing to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Uh, he must be a big Cody Rhodes fan. I am too as well. But I told him that he will get his redemption soon because Cody is gonna win the belt uh, at WrestleMania this year. That's a whole fact. Uh, we have a lot more to get to. I want to save some of this so we can talk about it going this in to the next segment because there's lots of pain on the text line. Yeah, man, yeah, let's I, share it. I hope everybody is over it. But we are looking for losses that stuck with you for a long time, such as the Super Bowl loss is with Wes, such as the 2016 championship loss did with Fiddy. We can get to some more of those a little bit later on. I did want to talk a little bit about the NFL Combine, just bringing a primer, because as we get to the Combine, Wes, so much of the discourse is actually surrounding what happens in free agency because these guys, they come mm-hmm. together, they go to St. Elmo's, they try the spicy cocktail, then they get a little tipsy, and then they share some of the secrets about each of their NFL teams, and then we see some moves start to uh, start to shake up. That's what's awesome about the combine taking place in Indianapolis. And so when we see this happen, you know Carolina is going to be out there looking for a, num- a number one wide receiver. So as we approach the deadline... Brad Spielberger joined Mac and Bone to talk about the idea of signing T. Higgins, 
Michael Pittman Jr. They're going to be up in Indianapolis. Might as well take a look at Pittman while they're up there, right? So we'll see what happens there. Here's Brad Spielberger talking about the idea of signing either one of those top wide receivers. I would be surprised if we don't get a tag for both T. Higgins in Cincinnati and Michael Pittman in Indy. The one thing I would say about Higgins is, and I'm not saying I expect this or anything like that, but I think it's more likely that we maybe get a tag there and early negotiations go poorly and he demands a trade. And again, Cincinnati might not, you know, cater to that request or, or really care at all. They've, you know, kind of shown that they go about their business. They, they, they aren't going to be swayed by what a player says or does. Um, and the player is going to show up and keep playing. So nevertheless, obviously has the connection to the area as a former Clemson guy. Maybe there's a tag and trade scenario there, but most likely those two players are just, are just not available. So if they're not available because they both get franchise tagged, it would be tough to bring them in. Maybe you have a tag and trade scenario, but it's going to be highly unlikely. Now you have to look at some of the other wide receivers that are available. Brad Spielberger also has one of those guys that you could look to sign if you can't go for T. Higgins and Michael Pittman. Here's more from Spielberger on who that wide receiver is. I think he'd be a good option. He's a, still a very good separator. I think he'd come in and Calvin be a move receiver. Um, you know, and come in and you see him still a good route runner. People will talk about his drops, which no question were there. But you look at the first half of the season versus the second half of the year. And I think as he got his feet underneath him, got back adjusted to the you know speed of the NFL game after an extended absence, the drops came down. So I think it was just focus and getting used to getting hit again, and maybe you know there was a little bit of thinking of the step he was going to take after he caught the football, and that led to the drop. So yeah, still a very very good player, um, a guy that can be a total target hog. Had 140 I think targets this past year in Jacksonville can win intermediate and deep um, and keep for Bryce Young. Like he, he gets open. He's a good route runner, will create separation and actually show his numbers and, and, and you know, be open, um, you know, which will go a long way in this offense. That was near the bottom of the NFL and pretty much any separation metric or tight window throw metric, anything you could find, the Panthers were, receivers were not getting open. I know you're not a huge fan of Calvin Ridley. But if you can't get T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, either of these one one guys that cost about $20 million, how angry would you be or frustrated would you be as a Panthers fan if they decided to uh, adapt to Calvin Ridley at about 15 16 maybe $17 million? Yeah, I wouldn't like that, especially the higher you get up in that number. Uh, 15 and lower, perhaps, but then I would start to feel like it's a desperation move. You'd rather Gabe uh, Davis at 12? Yeah, much rather. Um, but see, this is the thing, I think, with Bryce, though. Obviously, you want to get a number one receiver. There's no doubt about that. But I think that the receiving core that he had last year outside of Thielen, and I'm talking about strictly the wide receivers, those guys were so inept that I think you don't have to necessarily have tremendous upgrades. You don't have to have T. Higgins this offseason. You don't have to have Michael Pittman or any of those guys. It would be nice. But if you did go sign maybe a, a second-tier guy, you can add Tyler Boyd to the mix. Or even your boy Curtis Samuels, if you brought him back to Carolina and he stayed healthy, uh, I think that those are guys that you could add that's going to give you an immediate upgrade over DJ Chark. And then you're still going to have Thielen. And then Mingo, let's see how he improves. And then maybe you spend some capital on a wide receiver as well. I think that gives you a, a much better receiving core coming into next year than the one that you had this year because I'm – and I'm saying all that to say I don't think Bryce necessarily needs world beaters at one through four. I think he could use guys that are just going to get open. 
That's what I think. I think you don't. You can give him blue collar receivers that are going to work and get open, and he's going to find them. And so that's why I think that if you if you go sign a guy like a Ridley, they talk about the drops and things of that nature. You go look at the PFF grade; it's a seventy one uh, for the year, seventy one point four. Um, I don't think necessarily you want to go give this guy number one money. I think that you can find some better guys on the cheap that will still be upgrades to what you have. The only reason I'm not a huge fan is the age, but I do like Calvin Ridley a lot. We'll see what happens as we continue to talk about that. Plenty more to get to. It's the Live Wire with Fitty, JD, however you want to say his name. It's coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back, folks. We are marching down the bases on our way home. Walker's waving us home. Would you be the base coach if we were running the bases right now? You're telling me to come on in. We got two more segments to go. I'd be third base coach. I could do that. I'm sending everybody. All right. Well, this is your Black History Hero, our last one for the month of February. I want everybody tweeting out that they are a part of the game, the EA Sports game. And we've been talking about college football this week. I'm going to give you the first Black Heisman Trophy winner. You may have heard of him, Ernie Davis, back in 1961. It took 26 years for an African-American to lay claim to a Heisman Trophy, and it was Davis who did so. Following in the footsteps of Jim Brown, Davis was twice selected as a consensus All-American, running for a total of 2,386 yards and 20 touchdowns. Davis was selected First in the 1962 NFL Draft and fourth overall in the 1962 AFL Draft, but was diagnosed with leukemia before playing and died a year later. Although he never played a game with the Browns, Davis's number 45 was retired by the team shortly after his death. He was elected to the College Football Hall of Fame in 1979, and in 2005, the Syracuse football team retired number 44, which had been worn by star tailbacks Davis, Brown, and Floyd Little. Today, Davis is remembered for his sportsmanship, the grace with which he handled the racial intolerance of his time, and his courage in facing a disease that ultimately claimed his life. And if you're looking for a good football movie, maybe you're looking for something to watch this weekend with the season being over, the 2008 Universal Pictures film, The Express, the Ernie Davis story, based on the nonfiction book Ernie Davis, the Elmira Express by Robert C. Gallagher helped keep Davis's memory alive by exposing new generations of fans to his story. And it was played by Chadwick Boseman, God rest his soul, because Lord knows he played everybody in every biopic you could ever want to watch. But salute. If you need to play somebody that <laughs> brought in a different era, you, were, you wanted to bring in somebody, it was yeah, Chadwick Boseman. No doubt about it. So salute to Ernie Davis, the first black Heisman Trophy winner, and helping to pave the way for all of the other African-Americans that play college football and won the Heisman Trophy after him. Salute. I have a perfect intersection of Ernie Davis and video games. Mm. Because you talk about Option Attack, NCAA Football 06. 
when you got the cheat code and you could unlock some of these all-time teams. Yeah. Syracuse's Orange Crush. Still remember the cheat code? Because if it wasn't Virginia Tech with Marcus Vick or Texas with Vince Young, it was the all-time Syracuse team with Donovan McNabb at quarterback, mm. Jim Brown, and Ernie Davis in the backfield. Yep, running that all day long when a lot of option attacks with the Orange Crush cheat code on NCAA 06. Did you ever, uh, were you a mascot game guy? Did you ever do that? Every once in a while. <laughs> it used to be fun. That was that was something where if we just wanted to clown around and not be so serious about our gaming, then yeah. we would throw, I would, you know, you know I had to get the Tar Heels out there for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But we'd only play that a little bit. All it right. was usually option attack or rushing attack. <laughs> All right, now it's time for the live wire with Fiddy, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. J.D. Marlowe. Let's connect. The East and the West, the West, up north to the down south. Live wire connect. All right, guys, something that we started talking about during the season last season and it's carried over into the off season has been the possibility that Carolina moves Iki Aquanu inside and they find a, another answer at left tackle. Well, we played Joe Person's audio yesterday on the Brian Burns contract situation. He also talked about if that is a possibility for the Panthers this offseason. I don't think they're going to move Iki Aquanu to guard. I, I don't. I just feel like it, that they're going to sort of add reinforcements in terms of depth, which doesn't sound all that exciting. Uh, and maybe they do go get a starting caliber guard and figuring that, you know, if, if worst case scenario, uh, Brady Christensen's healthy and competes for that spot or even, you know, slides out in his protection for a at tackle where we know Christensen has, you know, a lot of experience. So I do certainly think they're going to, you know, sign a couple of linemen. I just, I, I'm not sure it's going to be left tack. Wes, you're the offensive lineman guru. Should Iki Aquanu <laughs> uh, stand in the way of them drafting a left tackle if they find someone in the process that they absolutely fall in love with? Well, the hard part about it is where you pick it. I mean, if the Panthers were inside of the top 10 and had a chance to get the kid from Penn State, then maybe you have to do some thinking. Or Joe Alt from Notre Dame. Uh, then maybe you'd have to think about this thing just a little bit. Not sure 33. Now, you're fully capable. You never know what you can find. You could end up drafting a Pro Bowl, drafting a Pro Bowl uh, left tackle at that slot. But uh, I think definitely, as I've been saying, offensive line needs to be heavily invested in. I don't think that they're going to move Icky down inside. I think they're probably going to give him one last shot. So I think the focus needs to be guys that can go in the interior. Now, if you have a guy that exhibits versatility, so here would be the perfect scenario. You draft a guy 33 that you feel like uh, could be a really, really good tackle in this league. But we all know as offensive linemen, most of them are pretty versatile. So maybe you start them out at guard. They do that to rookies sometimes. And so you can necessarily draft them and put them at guard. And then if Icky doesn't work out yet again, perhaps you train the guy up through the offseason, through OTAs at two positions if he can handle that. And then you can flip Icky down inside either during the season or before the start of next season. So I think that would be the optimum situation for the Panthers. But I think they're definitely going to have their share of new faces on that offensive line. So 
It's been interesting to figure out what kind of order fans would want or teams would want with the draft and free agency. I've heard it both ways, and I can't figure out exactly which one I would want first as an NFL team. I think it's the draft because if you have the NFL draft before NFL free agency, you're supposed to draft the right players, not necessarily fix some of your mistakes. Because the NFL draft, you can't always do that, where in the free agency, in in that pool, you know, okay, we need help at offensive line. This guy is tried and true. We know exactly what we're going to have to pay for him. So let's go ahead and fix it at this price point. We're in the NFL draft. It's, man, we need offensive line help, but this wide receiver is so much better compared to all the other receivers, whereas I could wait a little while and then just take, you know, and take a gamble here with some offensive tackles or offensive guards that a little bit later on, right? Like, I've always thought the draft would help teams out more if it was first compared to free agency, but that's now how it works. And so we'll see what the Carolina Panthers do in NFL free agency before they get to the NFL draft. Because you are drafting at 33 overall, I think that's probably a little too far back despite this draft being very deep at offensive tackle for you to take a guy there and then move Icky inside in favor of that player that you drafted 33 overall. So I don't foresee Icky Iquanu moving to that left guard position, but it's going to be tough. The offensive line is really hard for me to try to figure out because you need a bunch of upgrades. The interior offensive line is terrible. I mean, even the outside wasn't great at pass protecting, certainly with Icky. So there's a lot of things you got to try to figure out, but it's also conceivable to think, well, if these guys are healthy, can we replicate anything close to what we got two years ago if we just have a different brand of offense? So that's the hard part that Carolina has to try to figure out. Well, and I'll say lastly, too, I think for the Panthers this offseason, it has to be like a good quarterback. You got to take what the defense gives you. The Panthers aren't going to be able to fix every single thing this offseason. They need to be able to take their wins where they can. If they're able to come up on some top free agents at positions of need, then that's great. But I think the Panthers need to just try to just take it slow, get guys that they can get this go round, and just build this thing slow. Yesterday, we we, get, we're, we were finally able to get into the J.J. Reddick, Pat Bev, Doc Rivers, Austin Rivers beef. <laughs> we didn't get all the way through it. And one of the, the parts that, that J.J. was pointing out was how he could break down film of a guy and get like 54,000 views on his podcast. But he makes a comment about a coach and it goes viral when he's got 10 million views on his podcast. And he took the time on ESPN's first take to talk about the responsibility he feels as a former player to educate fans. Now I want to address Stephen A's point. Since when is it players' jobs to educate people on basketball? When did that become a thing? When did that become a thing? Isn't that our job? Isn't that our job? I'll answer. I'll I do answer that as my I'm, job. I'm, That's my I'm, job I'm, to educate I'm, people I'm on letting, basketball. I'm letting you speak, no, and then I'm, I'll I'm, answer. I, I'm, it's our job, Stephen A., to educate people on basketball. It's okay. our job. And here's the reality. This is the okay. ecosystem we live in. I can do a okay. video on my podcast. I can do a video on my podcast where I break down the last nine games the Pelicans have used Zion Williamson as the primary ball handler and what type of actions that has led to. I looked it up this morning. 54,000 views on YouTube. But I want to call out a coach yesterday. Oh, that gets tens of millions of engagements. That's the ecosystem we live in. So do fans actually want to be educated or not? Mm -hmm. Do they? 
Walker, I know you had some thoughts on this, and we just didn't get a chance to get to it yesterday. You and I both agree that this podcast, I think, is very good, and I hate J.J. Reddick. I'm not a, a fan of his in any regard. But and, mo- and my most hated athlete growing up. Yeah, but I can look at it and say his, his work is fantastic. He does a great job breaking down the game. Where do you fall on the responsibility of current or former players to educate the fans of their respective sport? I'm going to try to bring this take because I have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh I think it's fascinating. So I'm going to try to make it as short as possible. Where does the responsibility fall? I agree with J.J. Redick that it doesn't necessarily fall on the players that we watch to break down the game that we're watching. That's exactly what we're employed to do to some extent. We're employed to entertain. But if you want to learn about the game, then there are avenues for you to go seek that out. The fact of the matter is, J.J. is right. That's not what the masses want. What the masses want is reality TV. Thus keeping with the theme of us talking about Love is Blind so much. That's what leads to so many people talking about the off-court product is better than the on-court product, which is frustrating as a basketball fan myself. But people in general love the reality of this. So when J.J. Redick, who played for Doc Rivers, says that Doc Rivers doesn't hold any accountability when he makes these these excuses for why these teams are, you know, losing, that's going to do a lot of numbers. It's why First Take is so popular, because it's a debate show where one Stephen A. Smith is amazing at what he does. You have to understand what he is, but he's amazing at it, and he dictates what happens on that show, and so that's why it's so successful. But with J.J. Redick, his podcast is real popular. So is the Zach Lowe podcast. I reference it all the time. You go to those places in order to seek out information and learn about basketball, and those podcasts do very well, not just within basketball pods, but in all of the sports podcasts. They're ranked like top 15. It's a big deal. But first take is going to be more when you're starting to watch them on television. So as far as the players, they're going out there and doing what they possibly can to win championships and win games and make sure that they're winning for their respected franchises. But when it comes to breaking down the game and being entertaining about the game, that's where the analyst, that's where the podcast host, that's where whatever you're talking about broadcasting the game, whoever that is, yeah, that job is more on the responsibility of those guys rather than the guys actually playing on the court or on the field. Yeah, I think that, you know, anytime you do a job like this or like what J.J. Reddick does, definitely part of your job is to uh, entertain and also to educate as well. You want to uh, educate the fans because there are a lot of casuals that listen that may not understand things that you say. With that out of the way, let's not get it twisted, folks. Like you said, you can tell people X's and O's all day. You can break down stuff until you're blue in the face. But we all want the nonsense, myself included. And so the sports clips that I'm going to gravitate to sometimes when I log on to YouTube or different platforms, if I see that somebody got into an argument or I see that somebody's beefing, I'm going to go check that content out first and foremost before I go see the hardcore uh, nuts and bolts of somebody breaking down a play. That's just the world that we live in. That's why on the news they report pop culture things. That's why that stuff dominates Twitter and all that stuff as well because we like the bull. Well, and and content is a menu. You get to choose what you like. Yeah. If you want to learn more about the game, then you can go and you can seek that out. You can order that. You can go to JJ Reddick's podcast. You can go to Zach Lowe. And like I mentioned, a lot of people do. You can go to the Dunker Spot, Nikaias Duncan, Steve Jones. They do an excellent job and they're featured on some other podcasts that are like them. 
But when you do 20 million views, or I don't even think it was that much, but when you do millions of views, when you call out a coach, you have to think about it this way as well. We're not used to JJ doing that as much, right? So if Stephen A. Smith calls out Doc Rivers, that's another Tuesday. Yeah, That's what First Take is all about. When you see something different, from a guy that is used to educating us about Zion as the point guard and what actions come from that, and then you see him actually be about the smoke, yeah, a lot of people are going to tune in. You're going to have that middle of the Venn diagram feature both people that want to learn about the game and also the reality TV junkies. That Those two groups are going to merge together, and that's what makes it a beautiful thing sometimes. But J.J. is right. If you are just talking about a what kind of content can I make in order to get the most numbers for dummies and then you read that book, what that book will tell you is that you need to be entertaining above all else. And that's what that's what First Take is. That's what Stephen A. Smith is. They do a great job at it, and that's why they're number one. Menu or content is a menu. You can order what you want. That's a bar, Walker. We need to print it out, put it on the wall, the quote wall over here. Thank you. Because it's a hell of a lot better than spaghetti, spaghetti, spaghetti. That's tough to compete with. I thought that was like Ralph Waldo Emerson myself. The last piece of sound we'll play for you guys. We're we're all fans of college sports. We all have a love for college football and college basketball. But we can all agree that with the transfer portal and the NIL, that the college sports landscape it's not as healthy as we want it or that it needs to be. Well, Jay Billis joined the Dan Patrick show and said signing players to contracts would be a way to calm down all the activity we see in the portal. The solution is simple, and the NCAA and the member institutions just don't want to do it. The, the, the solution is sign the players to contracts. They're employees, and you can sign them to a contract and put a buyout in it if you want, just like with coaches. I mean, the Boston College coach left to go to the NFL. First of all, he had NFL ties before that. He was in the NFL before he went to Boston College. But but then you saw somebody leave from the NFL to go to Boston College. So what does that say? Um, it, it, th- this, to me, is just, you know, kind of, and I love all these coaches, but it's just more coach complaining. Um, they're making a ton of money. Things have changed. Adjust to it. And it's not that big of a deal. But if the NCAA wants to fix this, they can fix it tomorrow. All they have to do is take off all restrictions for schools paying their athletes, and they would sign them to contracts just like they do coaches and administrators and all that. It's really not that difficult. Wes, you're a former college athlete. Do you think the solution is that simple? And if you could go back 15 years ago and Wake Forest would have presented you a contract, what would have been the buyout? Well, I do agree with Billis a lot. I do think that contracts would help a lot, especially if you did uh, two-year deals where a kid had to go to school for at least two years. I think that that would help a lot and cut down on the thousands of kids that get in the portal each and every year. So I like that idea as well. Then you could set uh, the money that's going to be paid and things of that nature. And again, you know, when he's talking about the coaches, the Sabins and those guys, I think probably one of their top pet peeves was a player that they just gave money to to come in as a freshman and they come in and they're not as advertised and then they want to come in the office and like, well, I'm not playing enough. I'm not getting the ball enough. I'm going to go somewhere else unless you offer me more money. I think that's the thing that's driving a lot of them mad. And I think if you did two, three-year contracts or something like that, then I think that that would, would help a lot because it has gotten to the point where these kids are no longer you know, student athletes. They are employees. Now, the first contract would have been offered by Florida and 
And I think with the SEC money that they had, you know, I'm not sure that I would have been transferring out of there after one year if they'd have broke me off uh, with something real nice. So, uh, yeah, there's that. But the buyout, I'm not sure uh, what the buyout would have been. You got to give me a little time to uh, think on that. Let's just go with 50000 uh, to start it. You I know, guess. Give me 50 bands. So Deion said, you know, 50 bands won't even get you a walk-on right now. Wouldn't even get a vacation for NBA players. Yeah. Not even close to one. I do love that comment just as much as you do. It's the greatest thing I've ever heard. D'Angelo Russell nonchalantly telling you that, yeah, that $500,000, I'll I'll be able to pay for like two vacations with that. (laughs) It's amazing. Just we, we live in a very different world from NBA players. No doubt about that. My problem with the contracts is just a question more so than a problem I have. Are they technically employees, though? You might answer that and say, well, of course they are. They're making money now, right? Yeah, but not with contributing to the revenue where they get a share of that. They're making money based off of their own business. Yeah. Who they are. So if you're talking about NIL, name, image, and likeness all revolves around them. Yes, the platform helps them, no doubt. But when we talk about signing contracts because they're employees, okay, well then... What else am I privy to as far as this business that is Alabama football? But you do have some schools like the Oklahomas and some others where every kid on the team is getting a flat rate for what, you know, I think at Oklahoma, I think it was 50000 to each player, regardless if they're a star or not. So, so then if you are a monster star and you already have an IL for sure, but that's my own thing. That ain't got nothing to do with us. Yeah. So now... <laughs> I guess we got to negotiate this contract just like professionals and for professionals, right? Yeah. So let's go ahead and negotiate, and this is how much I want. How much are you willing to pay me? And, whoo, buddy, now you just got NFL Junior all over again, right? Yeah, man, these agents would be getting flooded with kids. They'd have to hire more agents for all of the high school kids out here. It's crazy. It's uh, crazy to think about. All right, well, when we come back, we close this thing down on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Right out to the weekend in style, man. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. with it. Y'all can't see it. I think everybody was. Fiddy was. This has to be on the playlist, right? Yeah, I put yeah, that in there. That was one of the first yeah. songs I put in there. It had to be. It's crazy. Fuck them down. It's a, it's a nutso beat, as the kids say. I don't know if they say that, but I'm saying it. It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We appreciate everybody writing in on the text line, 704-570-9610. If you want to get a photo finish text in there, we were looking at some of the more painful losses. I can read the last few. Uh, the losses that stuck with you for a while. John the Beer Man has a great one. Chipper Jones's last game. Ridiculous mm. infield fly rule call when the fly ball was to the middle of left field. It was an awful way to end the career for a Hall of Famer. I remember watching that game. Completely agree. That one stuck with me for a little while just because Chipper Jones was such a big part of my childhood falling in love with baseball. And that game, terrible call. 
and Braves fans threw all sorts of trash onto the field for so long afterwards because they hated it. I feel like we're going to get a smart comment from Fiddy on the mic. Look, as a lifelong baseball guy and the son of an ump, they got it right, and it couldn't have happened to a better guy to see his career in with another postseason failure. Is there, mm. I would imagine, like, wh- where does he rank in your most hated athletes ever? Because he named his kid Shay. So, like, retroactively, cannot stand Chipper Jones. But admittedly, at the time, I wasn't the baseball fan that I was. So, like, I hate Acuna more, Albies more. Austin Riley, God knows. The amount of times I, I begged my pitchers to bean him last year was unprecedented, but retroactively cannot stand him. 704 said when David Tepper bought the team, that was a loss that stuck with me for a while. It's tough. 980 said when Portland lost to the Lakers, we got a Trailblazers fan in the house. When Portland lost to the Lakers up 15 to start the fourth Ooh, quarter. I remember that game like it was yesterday. Kobe Alley to Shaq. Mm-hmm. That was the dagger. Shaq pointing to Kobe as they're running down the other end of the court. That was a good one. I do remember that one as well. Uh, David wrote in, Virginia traveled. You'll never be able to convince me otherwise. That was Virginia's 63-62 to win over Auburn in the Final Four of 2019. If my girlfriend's listening, she hates it. She, I always clown with her about that because she went to Virginia. And so I'll talk to her about, I don't know, man, those, those zebras, the Virginia zebras. <laughs> It was you a have great the ground to for talk about that stuff with her or, or no? I don't have the grounds to talk with her. You know, I got to be at least a fourth year to be able to talk to her about those types of grounds. All right. Those are inside Virginia jokes. If you know, you know. And if you know what we do on Fridays at the end of each week, we give you the week that was. Time to hit it, Fitty. What you got? We kind of had ourselves low-key uh, a pretty fun week of, of shows considering we've kind of moved into the offseason with the Panthers and the NFL year uh, done. And earlier in the week, we were talking about sports movies. And Wes admitted to not having seen Hoosiers, maybe the best basketball movie of all time. We pushed back on him, but he was having none of it. Because the thing about Fiddy is he acts like it's like the most egregious thing when you haven't seen something that he said. He's this like, is the what? This I is can't the believe that. Fiddy, have you seen Casino? Nah, I ain't seen that. Have you seen Scarface? Nah, I haven't seen that. Have you seen this movie? Nah, I haven't seen that. But it's a lot of classic shows and movies that you haven't seen where I'm just like, oh, okay, that's what's up. You should check it out. But you, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you haven't seen Hoosiers. Hmm. Like, come on. Well, you are 40, Wes. Okay. You're the old head. You're supposed to see all this bleep. Ain't no old head, okay? <laughs> First of all. The best part is we're not streaming, not yet at least. Wes's hand motions were the absolute. It was like fire or fizzle with the what? <laughs> it was it was fun, even if it was at my expense. When I make the rejoins, I'm picturing that one fitting perfectly with the way that I break those down, and I can't wait to make that one. Maybe once we come back from the weekend or the next time that I give a new batch of some of those rejoins, that one is going to be fire, as the very man Wes Bryant likes to say. What else you got, Fitty? All right, so Wednesday, Willie P. was in studio. And as oh, we know, no, when no, Willie no, P. shows no. up, Shows up, chaos ensues. Let's warn the kids. This one is not going to be safe. Just maybe like a, a, a one, two-minute turn down, and then you can come back. I just wanted to give that warning out there. Yeah, Walker was very descriptive about the way he eats uh, crawdaddies. 
I've gotten so good at just pulling the tail off of the shrimp to where I lose probably like 2% of my shrimp meat. It's good. You got to squeeze it. Squeeze the tail. <laughs> got to squeeze the tail and then just pull it at the right speed a, and you're good. As opposed to the crawfish. So I don't really need the as small opposed pork. to the crawfish where you squeeze the tail, suck the head. <laughs> that's right. Oh, fitting. Just so you know, when you eat the crawdads, that's all you have to do. You suck the head, you suck the meat out of that, and then you don't have to use your small fork for any of those shellfish. Me and Willie are here to teach you all about it. Dip it in the butter, too. Got to dip if it you, in the butter. If, if he wasn't in here, I wouldn't be laughing, but because he's back there dying. Well, it's because he's got the mind of a 12-year-old. It's contagious. I maybe like taking advantage maybe, of that with Willie. Maybe that's even a little bit too conservatively estimating when it comes to 12. Probably. Maybe more like 8. Um, full disclosure, Walker. <laughs> those are all isolated drops. I played them for Mac the other morning. I'm sure he loved them. He has some questions. <laughs> and rightfully so after the way you described eating. You're, I was just repeating what Willie said on the mic. Yeah, I was but repeating like, exactly what he said. But it's so much more funnier when you do it because, like, you're just you're not willing to toe the line as much. Like, with Willie, Willie doesn't care. So Willie's just going to pretty oh, much he, say just about whatever without getting in trouble. And he's very descriptive about meat. Well, that's what I was talking about, too. And really, it's exactly what Wes was talking about. Wes is laughing, yes, because the content is hilarious, but also the reason we do it is because the 12-year-old behind the ones and twos can't stop laughing, and that's why Wes is laughing more so than what we were talking about. Yes. So I kept going into it, man. We're going to emphasize that if we get... Because, Fiddy, your laugh is great. It is. And and, and that's why we kept rolling with it. If if you expect people to not laugh at suck the meat, you're just... You, you're Crawfish. expecting too much out of society. I know I said that, but I just, you know, it was under the crawdad context. I just want to go there. Last one, what you got? All right, the last one, we go back to yesterday's show. And we were talking about comments made by Anthony Rendon. And I wondered if this was going to make it. Wes <laughs> Walker told us how we really felt about our conversation. I, I, I feel like I'm getting dumber with everything that I'm hearing surrounding this conversation. <laughs> like... What, I said something dumb? Not you. Me? No, not... Okay, I apologize. I changed my answer. That was not an intended insult to either one of you. Gosh, tell how you really feel. You didn't want to keep going? No, that's we we just We just stopped it there because I don't think you've ever started off a take with you saying, I think I got dumber. And then that's a, and and I mean poor Wes. I mean Wes is like admittedly wanting to know did he say something dumb? When I told him no, but I also told you no, and eventually he told me I was dumb. Well, he called me dumb. You doubled down. You you when I thought you weren't going to go in on Anthony Rendon, and then you said no. I actually understand why people are frustrated by this. That's I was what, just playing devil's advocate and, and trying no, you to can't give you the you fan believe. perspective. No, no, my like, favorite part. Yeah. My favorite part was when you kept going back. And saying that I don't like it, I don't want to hear that. And then Walker was like, "Don't, don't, don't say I don't want to hear that anymore." Okay, I, I, I know what you think. <laughs> I like when he you kept, two argue. He you kept, know? he kept saying, "All I'm saying is I understand <laughs> why a fan wouldn't want to hear that." Yeah, yeah. And then he's trying to say he's dead. I don't, I believe it, but I'm just trying to play devil's advocate. Yeah. No, you believe it. No. <laughs> it was like what we talked about in the room. He'll say stuff, throw the rock and hide his hand. He'll say something yeah. like, "Whoa, whoa, what are you coming at me?" Yes, <laughs> well, you're making this way and too much of a big a deal, okay? Like, this is way too big of a deal because yeah, whoa, of what you're saying. Whoa, whoa! What are you doing? Our, we, had our first, uh, <laughs> we had our first Michael K. Don LaGreca moment. Because, because when they of, argue, they kind of just argue in circles. 
I wasn't arguing. And I knew you exactly and I for like I... three minutes said the exact. You were saying the same no, thing. No, I was saying the same no, thing. No, 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 no. That's what <laughs> you were I'm not the one getting blamed solely for this, okay? That's... It takes two to tango. Fitting. You dance poorly in this tango. I do. I just want to let you know that. That'll do it for Weston Walker. Real quickly, I want to remind you to join Will Palachik and Jessica Charman tomorrow night as Charlotte FC opens their 2024 season at home against New York City FC. The WFNZ Doghouse, presented by Jack Daniels, will open at 4.30 with the help of our sponsors, Pepsi, JJ's Red Hots, and Planet Kia. The pregame starts at 7, and all the action begins at 7.30 right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Speaking of Speaking of 92.7 FM, keep it right here. Kyle Bailey Show, Smoke Ludwig. They're coming up next. We'll see you on Holla. Monday. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.